She called him to firm up plans for that night. Before she could say a word, Johnny yelled, Who are you? What the hell are you doing? Five hours later, Johnny and his girlfriend Lisa were found in their kitchen bound with duct tape, suffocated with plastic bags. DNA points to four females and three males. Only two of the men were ID'd. Only one is in prison for it. This is the very strange story of Johnny Clark and Lisa Straub. Let's recap. Welcome to True Crime Recaps. I'm Chris. This is where you're going to get all the crime in half the time. So if you're waiting in line at the grocery store while the person in front of you takes their time discovering how the self-checkout works, we've got you covered. If you know someone else who likes a short recap, it would mean a lot if you gave this a like and shared our channel. It really helps us keep bringing you these stories. This one started off strange, then got downright bizarre. Johnny Clark and Lisa Straub's story begins with a series of 911 calls. The first call was from Johnny's mother. It came in just before 1.30 a.m. on Monday, January 31st, 2011. This girl says she was on the phone with my son and his girlfriend, and he was supposed to go pick her up. He was telling her he was going out the door, and all she heard was the phone drop and heard my son saying in the background, who are you, what do you want? What are you doing here? And she said she just drove by the house, and the house looked ransacked. All the lights are on. My son's not answering, and neither is the girlfriend. Officers went out to Holland, a comfortable suburban neighborhood outside of Toledo, Ohio. At that hour, Long Acre Lane was empty and eerily quiet. They peered through the front door's side windows, but saw no sign anything was wrong. When they walked around to the back of the house, the television and some lights were on, but there was no movement inside and no sign of forced entry. There weren't even any suspicious footprints in the snow covering the ground. So they left. But their night was just getting started. A little less than an hour later, Johnny's mother called 911 again, this time from outside the Straub house. Listen, ma'am. I am a concerned mother. My son was in Long Acre Lane with his girlfriend house-sitting. Lisa Straub lives there because her parents went to Puerto Rico two days ago. I get a phone call about a half an hour ago from his friend Sharita that some girl named Tiffany called her saying that Johnny and Lisa were supposed to pick her up at 11 o'clock. And she was on the phone with Johnny, my son, when he was walking out of his house, his girlfriend's house with his girlfriend to come get her, and supposedly she heard a guy in the background screaming at my son and my son saying, what do you want, who are you, get away from us, and what have you. Okay, four cop cars were already out at this residence. They're not there, and her car is in the driveway. I want to know where my son's at. Her 21-year-old son was dating 20-year-old Lisa Straub, off and on for about a year and a half. They were living with Lisa's parents to save money while she went to nursing school and waitressed at TJI Fridays part-time. Johnny was trying to be a barber. By this time, their partying included prescription painkillers, which brought some new friends into their orbit. One of those people was Tiffany Williams. Tiffany and 17-year-old Zach Burkett were planning to go over to Johnny and Lisa's on Sunday night to get high and maybe play a game of pool. Her parents were celebrating their 25th anniversary on a cruise, so the house was all theirs. But less than half an hour before they were supposed to meet up, Tiffany called Johnny to check in. That conversation kicked off a bizarre mystery filled with questionable characters, half-truths, and flat-out lies that still haven't been fully unraveled today. 
I have a feeling you set up my son. My son is missing. He's nowhere to be found. Do you want to tell the police what you just got done telling me on the phone? Okay, come here. Ma'am, I'm going to let you talk to her because I have her blocked in uh, Lisa's house driveway. Okay? Okay. Here. You tell them what you I will. Hello? Okay, what's what's going on? Okay, um, my friend Johnny and Lisa, they were supposed to come pick me up, me and uh, my friend from our house. And this was like 11 o'clock. And um, he... Um, I was on the phone with his girlfriend, Lisa, and then he hung up and, um, we all hung up. He said they were on their way. And then he, I called Johnny right back. Cause I was going to tell him that, um, I was going to run to the store and then I was, I would meet them at the house. Well, um, he was yelling at somebody like, um, I'm on, he goes, he goes, bro, who, who are you? And then, um, I, I called, he called him right back and he didn't answer. So I texted my friend Lisa's phone and I was like, um, where are you? Are you guys okay? And they have not answered to me or nothing. Years later, Tiffany told reporter Brian Duggar at Toledo's 11 Investigates that she heard a man's voice in the background and it sounded like Johnny knew him. He told Tiffany he'd call her back, but after 10.41 p.m. on January 30th, 2011, Johnny Clark never used his phone again. After the second 911 call, the deputy went back to the Straubs where Johnny's parents were waiting outside with Tiffany and Zach. His mom wanted the officers to force their way in, but just like before, they saw nothing alarming, nothing that gave them cause to legally break in. For the second time that night, they left. When they were gone, Johnny's family circled the house, peering through every opening they could, trying to get a better look inside. That's when they spotted something the deputies didn't catch. Through a tiny opening between the blinds on a high window at the back of the house, they could see Johnny on the floor, and he wasn't moving. That's when his mother made her third call to 911. <laughs> You need to get the police out to Long Acre Lane. My son is in the basement tied up of this house. I just saw him through the window. I, the police were out here earlier and did absolutely nothing. Phones are on the ground. We can see the Both cell phones are on the ground and we can see the people. Him and his girlfriend are tied up in the basement. This time, they weren't about to wait for help. Johnny's father kicked in the front door and stepped into a nightmare. Tiffany made the last 911 call just before 4 a.m. Lucas County, 911. Oh, my God. Uh, we just called the police here. On Long Acre? Uh, yes, but we need a rescue squad. He's got a bag over his head. Are we going to see through the window, please? <laughs> when the deputies got to the house for the third time that night, they found a horrific crime scene. The bodies of Johnny Clark and Lisa Straub lay face up on the kitchen floor. Plastic grocery bags covered their heads, held tight with black duct tape around their necks. Tape that was wrapped so tight, the coroner couldn't tell if they were strangled or suffocated. Lisa's hands were taped together behind her back. Both Johnny's hands and feet were bound with the black tape. Their shirts were pulled up over their stomachs like they were dragged into that position. And strangely, under Lisa's body was a key to the alarm system control box in the basement. Johnny's father ripped open the bags over their faces in a desperate attempt to give them air. But it was too late. They were gone. 
Johnny's empty wallet was left behind on his chest. A torn picture of Johnny and Lisa was found in the sunroom. Lisa's parents' bedroom upstairs was ransacked. Drawers were pulled out. The mattress was shoved aside. A dresser in the closet was pushed over. And a wall panel to a crawl space had been removed, with some drywall torn out. Someone was looking for something. Did they find it? People who knew Johnny said he liked to brag. He said more than once to more than one person, the Straubs were rich with a safe in the house filled with cash. Mr. and Mrs. Straub say they didn't own a safe and they didn't have a lot of money or valuables in the house. The only cash they left behind was $40 worth of pizza money for Johnny and Lisa. The only thing unusual they kept hidden was $4,500 worth of Iraqi dinar. It's not clear why they had it, but the dinar was kept under the dresser in their closet. It was still there after the murders. In fact, nothing of any value seemed to be missing. Detectives figured it was a botched robbery. This is what they think happened. When Tiffany called Johnny at 10.41 p.m., he was on the other line. He told that person he was waiting for a guy named Anthony Watson. Was that the man Tiffany heard Johnny talking to? Not according to Anthony. He claimed he went to bed early that night and didn't go to the Straub house. He was never charged, and seven years later, he was shot to death in front of his Toledo apartment building. It wasn't related to this. Probably. Back at the Straubs, damage to the doors in the house paints a grim picture. The attackers rushed them, forcing them into the house through the garage entrance. Johnny tried to hold the door closed. He was a big boy, about 200 pounds, but they forced their way in. Upstairs, Lisa's bedroom door was also damaged. Someone broke through it to get to her. Investigators got lucky when they found a Newport cigarette butt near the garage entrance to the house. DNA matched two men, Sam Williams, no relation to Tiffany, and his good friend Cameo Petaway. Sam was on probation for a domestic violence case. He also had some assault and drug charges on his record, and he'd been booked for pimping out his girlfriend. When they asked him about the murders, he called his lawyer. It didn't look great for him. He was a heavy smoker, Newports were his brand, and it wouldn't have been the first time he and Cameo shared a cigarette, but he swore he wasn't the guy. He said he was at the bar with at least three other people at 1041 that night, 30 minutes away from the Straub house. The others agreed he was with them, but Sam's big mistake was saying he'd never been to the Straubs. He didn't know Johnny and Lisa and couldn't explain why his DNA was at their house. Cameo had a long history of assault and drug charges. He claimed he was with his girlfriend that night, and she backed up his story. But theirs wasn't the only DNA found in the house. The couple's clothes and pieces of a broken cell phone traced back to four unknown females and one unknown male. Then there was the black duct tape. It didn't belong to the Straubs. The killers brought it with them. The plastic grocery bags were kept in the garage, so they were easy to grab. But... If you show up at a house with duct tape, you're up to no good. And sure enough, traces of DNA from those four mystery women and the man were found on it. Police had dozens of possible suspects to choose from. Fair warning, grab your evidence board and red string because it's about to get a little complicated. Stick with me. Let's go back to Tiffany for a minute. She was pregnant at the time. Her baby daddy was a guy named Aaron Griffin, otherwise known as AP. He was in his early 20s, like everyone else involved in this. Well, almost everyone. Remember Zach, the guy Tiffany was with that night? He was 17. But drugs have a way of making strange bedfellows. 
Didn't Shakespeare say that? Despite the age difference, Zach was close friends with AP, Tiffany, and a girl named Alexandra, Alex Casino. She was friends with all the key players I mentioned, Anthony Watson, Cameo Petaway, Sam Williams, especially Sam. She thought of him like a brother, a brother from an incestuous family, because the father of her children was Sam's ex-wife's current boyfriend, and the two of them also had kids together. I'll wait while you sort that out. The police were very interested in these convoluted connections, especially when they found out AP and Alex didn't like Johnny very much. AP wasn't a fan because Alex was his ex and Johnny slept with her at one point. Alex and Johnny weren't speaking anymore because of some disagreements about money. Apparently, Johnny and Lisa bought a puppy from her and only paid her half. Then, Johnny pressured her into buying his old car, and she ended up only paying him half. The car thing got very heated, with his parents yelling at her and Alex threatening to hurt Lisa. In the end, Johnny's dad went and got the car back, and that was it for her and Johnny. That was in mid-December, about a month and a half before the murders. It all sounds like a lot of drama, but was it enough to want him dead? Let's talk alibis. AP says he was home with another friend, Matthew, until 3 or 4 in the morning on January 31st. Zach actually called Matthew looking for pills around 10 that night while he was with AP. Alex was more vague about where she was and who she was with. She says she was driving around Toledo getting high with her boyfriend that night, although two days after their bodies were found, she was text bragging about how she duct taped them, tied them up, and left them for dead just to scare a girl she was, quote, having problems with. Jeez, girl. Alex robbed a local pharmacy at gunpoint looking for Oxy four years later, so... Zach and Tiffany alibied each other, although Zach later failed a lie detector test, but who knows what that was all about since none of Johnny's so-called friends were charged with anything. Their DNA was not a match to the unknown samples taken from the crime scene. And now that's not the last you'll hear about them, but we're not quite there yet. Even though the cops don't have names to go with all the DNA found on the scene, they worked with what they had. A year and a half after the murders, Sam and Cameo went to court. They were tried simultaneously, but separately. Sam barely avoided the death penalty, and Cameo walked free. Here's what happened. Sam's DNA on the cigarette was a huge strike against him, but it got worse when the prosecution put a jailhouse snitch on the stand. This guy said Sam confessed to him like he was his priest. He claimed Sam, Cameo, and another guy put a plastic bag over Lisa's head to suffocate and torture her to make Johnny tell them where the drugs and safe were. The safe that never existed at all. Lisa passed out and came to twice. The third time, she never woke up. They killed Johnny to cover it all up. He claimed Sam told him he couldn't stop thinking about the crinkling sound of the plastic bag as Lisa tried to breathe. He painted a pretty horrifying picture. Then there were the calls Sam made from jail using another inmate's PIN number to try to avoid being recorded. It didn't work, and excerpts from those conversations were played for the jury. Cameo's older brother was at the top of his phone tree list. Among other damning comments, he said something like, that was supposed to be me and you, but Cameo had to step in because the brother was in jail at the time. Taken all together, the jury found him guilty for both murders and gave him two life sentences. 
Cameo was luckier. The prosecution only had his DNA on the cigarette, and theoretically, anyone could have dropped it in the house. They didn't have anything else to put him there except for the testimony of the jailhouse snitch in Sam's case, but that evidence wasn't allowed into Cameo's trial. And while Sam claimed his cell phone history could put him at the bar that night, Cameo's phone was curiously quiet that night. No activity from about 6.30 on January 30th until midnight on the 31st. But the judge dismissed his case for lack of evidence. He later went to prison for a few years for beating up his girlfriend. Gotta love the American justice system. Typically, that's where this story would end, but I told you, you hadn't heard the last from Johnny's so-called friends. After the debacle of the trial, everyone following the case, including the cops, knew Sam didn't act alone. There was still the question of that unidentified DNA, and Tiffany and Zach's involvement didn't sit right with Johnny's parents. They became obsessed with the idea that they knew more than they were saying. Johnny's mother took to driving past Zach's house every night and shining flashlights through his windows until she was arrested for menacing. The following year, Johnny's father, with the help of his wife and a former Toledo police officer, hunted Tiffany down in a Toledo alley and fired two shots. She wasn't hurt, but the couple got some jail time. So did the officer who helped them find her. The thing is, they might have been right about Tiffany. In 2021, Toledo's Eleven Investigates aired a special report about this case. Not long after that, Tiffany called up reporter Brian Duggar to say she's willing to do whatever needs to be done to put the other attackers behind bars. And you might be wondering where that helpful attitude was on January 30th, 2011. The answer won't surprise you. She says she didn't want to be a snitch. If the police showed up at Johnny and Lisa's and everything was fine, but they found drugs there, then she'd be the bad guy. But 10 years later, she's clean and sober and tired of the dark cloud of suspicion following her around. She insists she wasn't involved and doesn't think Zach was either. But according to Brian Duggar, she does have a suspect in mind and is willing to talk to police about it and testify if need be. Unfortunately, it hasn't gone much farther than that night. And as of right now, no one else has been charged. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.